Hey everyone, welcome back to another podcast of the Midwatch. As usual, this podcast is brought to you by Bravo Zulu Co. Uh, Bravo Zulu Co. is obviously uh, my apparel company. Um, you can find it at www.bzgear.com. That is the one and only way to support the podcast. Um, within the next few weeks here, I'm actually going to have um, the Midwatch shirts uh, that will be for sale. Again, um, a portion of all the proceeds go towards supporting this podcast. This week's podcast, we have HM1 Hanel. Uh, he's the enlisted tech leader for the SAR Corman, uh, SAR, SAR Corman community, excuse me. Um, and uh, this podcast is a little bit different than uh, most on this um, podcast series. Uh, most of the time, we, we kind of have a, a storytelling type of podcast, uh, but this week's is definitely more informational um, on the pipeline and application process, uh, selection process um, as a SAR Corman and kind of what the C schools entail, uh, the pipeline, a little bit about each school, and then some of the duty sections um, and tasks uh, you may have after completing that pipeline. Uh, so I hope you guys get a lot of information out of this. Um, I definitely learned a lot. Um, I know SAR Corman are, are kind of one of those things where people don't know a lot about it. Um, I'm definitely one of those people. So, uh, you know, I was very happy to be able um, to have HM1 here as a guest to kind of be the, the subject matter expert as he is, um, to be able to kind of lay it all out uh, on one platform. So, again, hope you guys enjoy. All right. So, I really appreciate you taking your time out um, to, to kind of come to my podcast and and discuss, um, you know, the, the SAR pipeline and, and, uh, kind of what the job entails and, and, and things like that. Uh, I had, um, on la last week I had uh, Lieutenant Commander Selby on here. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Um, yeah, I'm pretty familiar with Nikki. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a small community. She was an S and T way back in the day. I'm sure she talked about that. So, okay. Yeah. And she, and she kind of touched uh, a little bit on, on, on her, uh, um, history and experiences as a corpsman or a star corpsman. Um, so uh, I definitely kind of uh, want to get kind of the, the newer information on it and, and things like that, how we kind of discussed. We'll, we can talk about the pipeline and all that. Um, but first, I, I kind of want to uh, kind of have you introduce yourself, who you are, um, you know, obviously what you do, job title, things like that, um, to kind of, you know, give, give the audience a, a platform on, on kind of where you're coming from when you, when you speak about things. Okay. Um, well, I've uh, been in the Navy for about 15 years, been doing SAR med tech work for about 13 of those 15 years. Um, started out as an undes seaman, went corpsman, um, decided to go SAR, pretty much went right into the pipeline. Um, first duty station was Cherry Point Search and Rescue, which is no longer around. They decommed back in 2016, but... You know, one of the one of the best job I ever had. Um, did a one year IA to the Naval Air Ambulance Detachment, which we had in Iraq from 2006 to about 2014, I believe. 13, 14 was when they shut it down. Um, I was there for a year, came back, did some more stuff at Cherry Point finished up my time there, and then rotated to the blue side, HSC, Helicopter Sea Combat. Um, and I did six years back-to-back -back sea duty at HSC 22. Um, had a really good time there. Got to do a lot. Um, kind of transitioned from the search and rescue aspects, the traditional um, stuff that I've been doing at Cherry Point, and transitioned to more of the fleet tactics job where we do kind of a jack-of-all-trades type deal. Um, so we specialize in fleet logistics, um, you know, patient movements, um, special operations support, anti-surface warfare, just about any mission set that HSC do, did. We obviously did it there. Um, I got augmented to 2nd Force Reconnaissance Battalion in 2012 um, for a deployment with them. Did a couple of deployments with 22. Finished up my time there in 2016, early part, and I transitioned to the Fleet Replacement Squadron, which is where I'm at now. Um, and that's um, like the Air Crew Schoolhouse. That's where we not not to be confused with NACIS, which is part of the pipeline. 
Um, this is where we take rescue swimmers and flight medics or SAR corpsmen, depending on what you want to call them, and uh, train them on how to operate in the back of an aircraft. Um, oh, and so, so you currently, know, I'm the enlisted. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm the enlisted technical leader um, for the 8401, which is like the legacy NEC. Now we're the L00 Alphas. Um, so I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but all NECs within the corpsman rate have an enlisted technical leader. Um, and they report directly to, you know, the force planning office. And the Corman community is so diverse, they need central points of, you know, contact um, to talk about community issues. So, so are you? So you kind of speak like directly with like the ECMs or like the like the enlisted community leaders for like Corman, and then, or do, am I do I have that mixed up? No, I, I, I um, so I, I do a lot of work with um, the ECM shop, the detailer, specific to the uh, SAR MedTechs, and I work um, with uh, the Force Planning Office, Force Master Chief, Deputy Force, um, and then you know other key individuals, not necessarily specifically within the Corman community, but generally they do have a. Um, a role within the Corman community or, or Navy medicine in general, yeah. Okay. All right, so um, SAR Corman is something I've, I've kind of been looking at since I have uh, became a Corman. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the first four years I was in the Navy, I was actually a radioman on submarines. Um, okay. And I, I ended up getting force converted um, due to, like, a medical condition. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's how I became a Corman. Um, and ever since I switched, I kind of wanted to – Cause it's definitely not something I saw myself doing in the Navy. Um, but ever since I did become a corpsman, I, I kind of wanted to do something different. Um, and, and SAR corpsman was always, it seemed like a, uh, like a dark horse. Like no one really knew like what it was, like how, how to apply for it. Um, but I've definitely noticed that over like the past year, it's, it's kind of come up more and kind of in the limelight. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm really happy that, you know, we're going to be able to talk, talk about this because because i know i i personally have a lot of questions about it and and i know a lot of people who i've talked to also um also have um so i'm um, obviously it, it's just like any other c school right you got to submit a package things like that um so what are some of the things that they're, that they're looking for in the in the actual package to um to you know uh, essentially applied to to the c school so um we're kind of like in this transitional phase so we have um you may be aware of it. Right now we have the ATF program that came online as of June 1st. Um, and that's um, a recruiting push for um, essentially what we call it is the street to fleet program, right? Um, but with that, um, as a community, we've been really trying to recruit because before June 1st, we really didn't have a way to get guys straight from the street into the pipeline. So we were having to take them as volunteers at core school um, which the day-to-day SAR corpsman, unless you're stationed there in Fort Sam Houston, doesn't really have a lot of um, interaction with those kids. Mm-hmm. But we do have a huge interaction when it comes to hospitals, clinics, you know, boats, um, expeditionary guys, and we're able to kind of get in there and say, hey, man, like, is this something you'd be interested in doing? So we've been doing this, like, grassroots type uh, recruiting effort, um, trying to plus up our numbers. Because when it talks about ATF, the advanced technical field rate or, or jobs that includes diver, recon, and SAR. And if you look at manning numbers, we're really undermanned across the board. Um, but with that being said, as far as us being undermanned, we are. However, we still don't have, um, and we don't have as many seats as you would think that we have being undermanned when it comes to school. So our bottleneck generally is Flight Medic Schoolhouse because it's the um, it's the one school that classes up the least amount of times in a year um, and there's not a ton of seats available necessarily. So um, that can hinder some people when it comes to packages. Um, so while we are undermanned and we need a lot of people to apply, it becomes competitive specifically for the fleet guys. Um, so on the Instagram page, um, I posted my checklist that I use when I screen packages. So 
Um, because we're in this transitional phase, there's a lot of um, publications, and the reason this happened was because we, the Navy literally put the cart before the horse this time. So ATF came online, and now we're scrambling to get milpers, mans, and can tracks, and all this other stuff updated to reflect what's going on on the street and in the fleet, right? Mm-hmm. So you can reference CanTrack if you want. Um, at the end of the day, you're going to have to um, talk to an SMT, myself, you know, any of the other community leaders, and, and get some clarification on that, which is why I said reference the Instagram page because I typed up everything and put it on there as far as what needs to be in a package. Okay. Um, but, you know, ASVAB scores, um, uh, letters of recommendation. So I get I get questions about um, if I can't get a letter of recommendation, is that going to hurt my package? Because on the can track it says recommended but not required. So when the can track gets changed, uh, hopefully before the end of the year it will be required. But, um, yes, it will hurt you because I'm going to have your package or whoever's package without a letter of recommendation because they weren't able to find an SMT but then I'll have four more that have them. So you're automatically going to get put at the bottom of the stack, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, PRT scores uh, for our E4 and below guys, um, um, advancement exam scores. So I had a really, I had a, I had a, in all respects, a pretty competitive sailor, but he kind of more or less bombed his last advancement exam. Um, and we weren't able to push it forward because I had, you know, two or three other guys that did pretty well but just didn't advance. Um, so, you know, every little thing um, can definitely, um, you know, either make or break your chances of getting, you know, pushed forward in the in the approval process. So uh, with that being said, we also have the PST coming online. So, you know, PST scores are going to kind of help. Um, the PST score isn't necessarily there to... It is there to weed people out, on you know, um, but it's also there to help prioritize people as well. So, so is that going to be like the same one that you know you do for dive school seals like that, where it's the swim, push up, sit ups, pull ups, and then the the run? So, so when it comes to ATF, um, ATF is you can think of HMATF as a rate. Okay. Okay. So when you have a a person, an interested candidate that comes in off the street to the recruiter's office and wants to go HMATF, they don't get a career track yet. So they'll put them into a contract. Um, they'll get money, advancement, all sorts of goodies out of it. Um, obviously, contingent upon completion of the contract, which would be making it to the NE, to the NEC designation uh, school. So for SAR, it's uh, the Flight Medic Schoolhouse in Pensacola. Even though you may have more school after that, as soon as you obtain that NEC, you've met the requirements for that um, contract, and you'll get you know your your bennies at that point. Okay. So HMATF is a rate. Once you get to core school from boot camp, that's when they'll start to sort people based off of performance, um, uh, performance physically and performance at the schoolhouse, and they'll start. You know, putting guys over here, putting guys over here, you know, dive, recon, SAR. They'll also take, you know, they're not going to be able to put everybody in recon, which is what ATF was originally designed for, was to boost recon's numbers. And then they started looking across the board and they're like, well, we can probably put SAR and DMT in here. So when it comes to the PST scores, the PST scores are um, centered around the SARC numbers. So you know, those guys coming off the street, even though they want to go SAR, they're still going to have to put up some pretty varsity numbers as far as PST goes because they use the SO numbers. Okay. Um, for the fleet guys, uh, it'll be in the Milpers man that just left my desk last week, um, which are not nearly as um, varsity as the SO numbers. So they're still competitive, um, you know, not everybody's going to be able to meet them, um, but they're definitely not as hard as the ones, the minimums for SO. Okay. So the this ATF program, uh, um, this is actually the, the first time I've, I've heard of that, actually, since uh, when you just brought it up. So is that just the, like, SOC schools for corpsmen? Like, like you said, like the dive, the dive, the SARC, the SAR, or is this... Like also including like you know like seals, navy diver, no. 
Oh. No. So those guys, NSW has their own ATF. So ATF stands for Advanced Technical Field. Okay. Um, and there's a lot more than just, um, you know, um, dive, recon, SAR. Uh, Nuke has an ATF pipeline or a program contract, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I On the Instagram page, I took a screenshot from, I think it was Navy.mil that talked about ATF and bonuses. Swix one right now. Um, Navy Diver is one right now. Um, Nuke. There's a couple other ones. There's about probably 10 ATF fields that they're trying to recruit people from the street into. Um, SEAL is not one of them currently. I'm pretty sure that they're getting pretty close to manning. So, um, but any of these, you know, advanced technical fields, they need people in. Usually, there's a long school pipeline, whether it's physical or you know, academic, when we're talking about nuke, um, they all have ATF contracts with associated bonuses and advancement and stuff, so. All right. Um, c- kind of going back to how you were talking about the different contrasts between if you're, you know, just a, a new enlistee coming in or if you're a fleet guy um, uh, applying to the program, um, obviously it's something that I saw, uh, I believe that's new, is that they added SAR to the STAR program list. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, obviously, that's probably going to be attract some people. Um, yeah. So, what are the? Uh, is there any kind of different stipulations for that, or same kind of thing where if you just pass that initial school, um, you kind of get the benefits of the star program? So, star is going to be for our E four sailors that are eligible for E five. Um, the Neox, which um, are you familiar with the Neox? Uh, I'm not. So, Neox is just. Um, kind of like a blueprint for um, an NEC. So it basically says what schools need to be completed to obtain that NEC, what the rank structure is for that NEC. It doesn't talk about specific billets, but it just says, you know, from E3 to E7, um, what schools need to be completed, um, just some administrative things. So like I said, it's like a blueprint, right? And then based off of that, that's how we help drive camp contract requirements, uh, how C school, how the C-School desk is going to detail people through the pipeline, and then how our billet structure through the various units is going to look. So, um, so with that being said, um, that is kind of how um, the structure works. So, um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that answers your question. So the, so the the stars just for um when we got disconnected there for a second. <laughs> it, it's alright. So the star the star program is just for oh, E yeah, star program E four right, to E five. Yeah. So star star is going to be specifically for those E four to E five guys. Um. So and in the Neox, the new Neox is coming out. Um, the NEC will be awarded at the completion of the flight medic schoolhouse. So there'll be um, maybe one to two more schools after that, just depending on how the C-School desk detailed the person. Um, so nobody's order set, pipeline set, is going to look exactly the same. They're going to be sent to schools as they're available, right? Okay. So you could finish Flight Medic Schoolhouse and still have SEER and the Fleet Replacement Squadron left, or you might just have the Fleet Replacement Squadron left. Um, but you'll be able to take advantage of the opportunity to re-enlist if you need a re-enlistment for our fleet guys and take advantage of that um, STAR program. So we also have pretty hefty Zone A, Zone B um, multipliers right now. Um, yeah, I saw so, Zone B is like 4.5 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, with, a, I think, a $60,000 ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. that's where I'm at, so I was I was looking at that. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of good money, and there's, you know, advancement. Um, I talked to an HMATFer about two weeks ago. Uh, so the ATF contract bonus is 25000 They gave him 10 and automatic E4. Oh, so wow. theoretically, um, he could take advantage of the STAR program as well. Hmm. Yeah. So so E5 to E6, no, no advantages as far as rank? Or, no, no or... advantages. This is rank and no advantages as far as like promotion or um, monetary goes, so no bonuses. Um, I mean, unless you're in the zone B category. Uh, a lot of our 
E five, E sixes, or E sixes more or less are in the zone C category. So, mm. you know, there was really nothing for them there. Okay. So with the with the limited amount of seats and all that, um, is it kind of like uh, is it going to be where you can only apply like once or twice a year, or is it just kind of sporadic whenever there are seats? You guys are going to pick up candidates. So the best thing for somebody to do is to you're eligible to apply for like a C school at your 18 month mark once you've done 18 months on station, mm. which. For Corman, um, generally your your orders are going to be three years at a time, so that's your halfway point, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's smart to not wait until you're getting close to your orders negotiation window and get that package in as early as possible because it gives you more opportunities to try to get that filled to get that to get that pipeline ordered to you prior to jumping into your negotiation window if that makes sense mm -hmm. um, I get a lot of guys that wait and gals that wait until like 11 months they've already been through one negotiation window and they want to go ahead and apply the you know put the package in well you can do it still um, but the chances of it happening become slimmer and slimmer as the weeks and months move on so if they don't get picked up right away and it sits on the C school desk you know for a for a couple weeks to a month, you may roll into that needs of the Navy window right. um, before you get detailed for a C school. So I always tell everybody, don't wait. Get started at 18 months or get your package started prior to 18 months and submit at 18 months. Um, and a lot of guys and girls, especially coming from hospital where they have a pretty big um, population of corpsmen, their commands, as long as they're um, good square away sailors and getting good evals, um, generally are willing to let them go prior to their PRD, so which works out pretty good because it offers a lot of flexibility mm -hmm. um, for orders. So it's not one of those, so it's, <clears throat> it may be a little bit of time from submitting your package to when you're actually going to leave, because yep. um, you know, I know even though um, uh, SARS is so undermanned, similar to like Surface IDC, um, I had a buddy of mine, he literally he picked up E5, put in a package, and he had, like, orders, like, two months later to, like, IDC school. So I didn't know if it was kind of similar because of how undermanned you guys were. Um, so yeah. as, long, as long as your command is willing to let you go early, you could leave at any time once you submit that package, and it's approved. Okay. Um, so you could leave, you know, a year early. You might leave on time. It may be six months. It just kind of depends on what's available. Um which is why I say if you can get it in early, um, it helps you out because it gives you a bigger window to work with. Um, so uh, I, I, I want to get into the this kind of the, the pipeline itself now. Mm -hmm. um, I know you said it's not always going to be the same because of, you know, limited seats and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, what? so, you know, you uh, send in the package, you get picked up, um, kind of what happens next? So you'll... PCS to Pensacola, Florida, and generally, I would say 100% of the time, you're going to start at uh, NACUS, which is Naval Air Crew Candidate School. Um, they class up pretty much once a week, so they have a huge throughput, um, which is why that's always the first one, because you can pretty much start any day of the month. Well, not any day of the month, any week of the month. Okay. It's four weeks. Um, there's a lot of PT involved. Nothing necessarily crazy. Uh, for some people, you know, it, it may be, uh, especially when it comes to the swimming, because you're kind of in the pool just about every day. You also have the av phys portion, the aviation physiology portion, which is about a week, I believe. That's where you get the Gila dunker and survival strokes and all that stuff. Okay. So um, uh, it's it's not designed to get rid of anybody. It's designed to build people up. So if you're a second-class swimmer, which you need to have your second-class swim qualification to enter the pipeline, but let's say you get there and you, I don't know if you've ever done a second-class swim qual, um, but it's there's not a lot of swimming involved. You demonstrate you demonstrate some strokes and you do some um, survival floating, basically. So at air crew school, you're going to be required at the end of that four-week period 
to swim a mile um, in a flight suit, which sounds like a long, long distance, and it is, um, but they kind of work you up to that. You can use any stroke as long as you don't stop and touch the bottom of the pool, um, and I think you get 80 minutes there. So that's like the final culmination, but when on the AvFizz side, you know, there's a lot of people that get uncomfortable because you're putting the Hilo Dunker, um, you're blindfolded more or less. It's, you know, goggles that are painted black so you can't see. So you have to do daytime, nighttime egress. Um, you're getting flipped upside down, breathing on oxygen bottles, the little habit bottles. Um, so it's very uncomfortable, and from just about everybody that goes through there, it's a brand new experience. So, um, but it's not a high attrition school. The job isn't to get rid of people. It's it's to train people to move on. Okay. Um, from there, you'll go to um, flight medic schoolhouse, more than likely. Um, that's seven weeks, and you're going to do advanced life support um, training. So you're going to do ACLS, PEP, which is can be kind of compared to PALS. It's pediat or pre-hospital education for the pre or pediatric education for the pre hospital professional, sorry. And then ITLS, which is comparable to PHTLS, if you're familiar with any of those. And then they're going to kind of take all that information. You're going to do some anatomy and physiology on the front end before you get into those classes. And you're going to kind of operationalize that medicine in a uh, high-fidelity training environment. They have, um, you know, helo simulators um, that make noise and not, like, move, but shake, vibrate. Um, they can make it dark, put smoke in there. They have high-fidelity sim mannequins, so TCCC style, but they also have, like, 3G mannequins that they can do just about anything on, and you can do just about anything on, and they'll give you scenarios starting with, like, a one-patient type deal, moving up to, you know, two and three patients um, in the back of an aircraft, teaching you how to, you know, work heads down and cramp spaces and whatnot and deliver ALS medicine. And then uh, you'll have SEER, um, which is two weeks. That's up in San or out in San Diego or up in Maine. Just kind of depends on. There's no rhyme or reason to where you're going necessarily. Sometimes I'll try to send the guys that are going to go to the East Coast for final orders to Maine and West Coast to San Diego, but it doesn't always work out that way. And um, if, I don't know if you're familiar with SEER, but it's um, about a week of academic. Where they're going to teach you, you know, um, resistance or how to resist, how to return with honor. You'll learn um, how to make fires, well, just a whole bunch of stuff, um, survival stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll learn a lot from past experiences of um, people that spent time as POWs, and then you'll do a field exercise, which I believe is about five or six days long. Um, it's not an easy school. It's definitely mentally exhausting, um, and the only real piece of advice that I can give to that, because we're not really allowed to talk about it too much, is to pack on some pounds before you go, because you're going to lose it. And then uh, you'll go to the Fleet Replacement Squadron, which is either in San Diego or Norfolk. Generally, like I said, they'll try to co-locate you, so if you're going to go East Coast, you'll go to Norfolk for training. If you're going to go West Coast, you'll go to San Diego for training. And then uh, that's where you learn how to take everything that you've learned and operate in the back, get back of the helicopter. Uh, but you won't be doing any medicine in that school. It's strictly how to be an air crewman, how to run the hoist. Um, you're going to learn systems, you know, how, how it flies, how it defies gravity and all that kind of stuff, um, how the magic happens. And then you'll get a NATOPS check, which means that you are cleared hot to, um, you know, function in the back of a Navy um, 60 Sierra helicopter, and then you'll be sent to your first duty station. And how, how long are you at that fleet uh, replacement squadron? So it's it used to be about a six-month program. Um, it is still approximately six months for the AWs. For the HM, we have significantly um, cut the training back. Um, and I think time to train now is approximately 59 training days. So we, we kind of say we cut it in half. Um, we, at the end of the day, the, the 
the knowledge that they're not getting at the squadron or the fleet replacement squadron, they'll learn at their first duty station. Um, the idea was to get them to their fleet squadron faster so that they could continue to work on their emergency medicine because you have guys that are learning all this emergency medicine, getting to the fleet replacement squadron, and sitting there learning aircraft knowledge for six, seven, eight months and forgetting a lot of it. So we were trying to, you know, cut down that time to train so that they weren't forgetting as much knowledge so that when they got to their first duty station, we didn't have to kind of start all over. So it's about like a, like a six, seven-month pipeline altogether? Um, currently, yeah, I, I'd say it's because, like I said, you, you're, not, you're, you're more than likely not going to go from one school like on a Friday and class up the next school on a Monday. Mm -hmm. So have some, some lag time in between. Um, I would say that it's safe to say that you'll spend anywhere from 10 months to a year um, okay. in training. It used to be about 18 months, and then if you want to add in core school, you're talking you know, probably close to 18 months for somebody to get through. Uh, I remember on some of like my, my Google searching and stuff kind of a few months back that um, like AVT school was part of this at one time? or Yeah, so technically right now, as of today, it still is. Okay. Um, I was talking about that NEOX revision, mm -hmm. um, so in the not-too-distant future, that will be coming out of it. Um, it was That's a 10-week school, um, not knocking on ABTs or anything, um, but pretty much every corpsman around the fleet, regardless of whether you've been to ABT school or not, does medical readiness. Um, right. and we don't necessarily need to send people to 10 weeks of school to teach them how to take care of medical readiness. Hmm. <laughs> so once you complete the school, um, what are some of the, um, does it still kind of follow like the traditional corpsmen, like you can go blue side, green side, um, or is there like, you know, kind of a whole different realm, uh, within like the SAR community? Um, what are some like typical duty stations that you could be looking at, you know, possibly getting? And is there still like a seashore rotation, or does that kind of differ also? Um, so seashore sea rotation is still pretty typical of three and three. Uh, um, as far as duty station goes, so we did have we do have one green side SAR unit left. It's uh, Marine Corps Air Station Yuma. Um, and they have a station search and rescue unit there. All the rest of the station SAR units that were Marine Corps have shut down, um, Cherry Point being the last one. So all the rest of the SAR units um, are blue side, uh, blue side aviation for sea duty. You can be stationed in Norfolk, uh, San Diego, Japan, or Guam. We have one unit in Guam, one unit in Japan, and then we have think about eight in San Diego and eight in Norfolk. Um, they're all side by side by side so you can kind of, in Norfolk we call it the A Street Shuffle where you can kind of just move next door and then move next door again and then move next door. Um, so it's fairly easy to kind of like, you know, stay put and go between shore and sea. Um, but we also have plenty of shore duty billets that are not co-located to San Diego or Norfolk. So we have Whidbey Island, China Lake, Lemoore, uh, Yuma, as I mentioned before, Fallon, um, Pax River, and Key West. And then on top of that, we have a shore unit, a shore instructor billet in Norfolk, San Diego, um, Fort Sam Houston, and Florida, Pensacola. So, um, yeah, small community. You kind of pretty much know everybody. There's about 79 of us currently. Um, so... You know, everybody kind of knows everybody by a first name basis, and we've known each other for many, many years. Um, I was I was really figuring that uh, there might have been something in Jacks at the the big air station there. So we do have one billet in Jacksonville. I didn't mention that. I forgot to. Uh, we have an evaluator that's there at HSM forty, um, but that's the only billet that's there in Jacksonville. You have a lot of um, the Romeo squadrons. Um, which is a different type of 60 than the Sierra, which is what we fly on. Um, and those Romeos don't fly with Edtechs. Um, those are anti-submarine warfare um, helicopters that have a 
robust amount of gear in the back part of the aircraft. I mean, really, you can only fly with like one or two people back there. Um, they do practice SAR. Um, they're not necessarily the best platform for it because they have so much gear in the back. Um, but those guys do a really good job at what they do, both the anti-submarine warfare and the search and rescue. Um, but when you're talking about putting a swimmer, a crew chief, and a corpsman back there, and then possibly survivors, there's really not room for all that. So um, it's just not a good place for us um, strategically to be located at. Um, so we stick to the Sierras, which is more of like your minivan, your you know Chevy Econovan um, pickup truck style helicopter. So some um, so something that I uh, I actually learned when I was doing the podcast with uh, Lieutenant Commander Selby, um, I actually thought like we were the ones that like jumped in the water and and, and kind of performed the rescues, um, but talking to her, I, you know, I, I seem to kind of be wrong about that. She said that that's more of like the AWs that actually do that. Um, yeah. Is that still like like true or? Yep. So we have um, we break the HSC community down into like two parts. We have the dry crewmen and the wet crewmen. The wet crewmen are going to be your AWs that are rescue swimmers and then your dry crewmen are going to be your corpsmen um, that more or less function the same way as an AW does with the exception of um, the swimming portion. So those guys aren't advanced life support providers but they're rescue swimmers and we're not rescue swimmers but we're the advanced life support providers so um, but we can still function so you know they can in, insert us to a rescue we can insert them to a rescue and then we work together to complete that rescue on the back end so what's the um, not not necessarily like the day-to-day -day routine but what are some of the things that you do uh, you know, on a sea duty, like, so do we, like, respond to, like, civilian, like, maydays out at sea, or do we strictly just serve, like, man overboards, things like that, like, what exactly do we do, uh, well, not we, but um, do SAR corpsmen do um, kind of at, a, at, like, their first sea duty? So for sea duty, um, like I said before, it's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, so um, generally when you're in the continental United States on sea duty, the Coast Guard is responsible for um, those, you know, civilians in distress. With that being said, there are definitely times where um, they will call for assistance, but um, per the National SAR plan, the Coast Guard is the first to take care of that stuff. So that's their job. That's what they're here for. That's what they're employed to do. Um, they're going to get that mission before anybody else is. Uh, not to say that it doesn't happen, and not to say that we don't get called to do those things, um, the Coast Guard is just going to get it first. On deployment, it's a whole different ball game. Um, you could be out doing workups, you know, in um, off the coast of North Carolina, maybe 20, 30 miles out near the fishing grounds, and definitely respond because you're closest on scene to boaters in distress or things of that nature. Overseas, um, you know, it happens all the time. Um, medevacs from small boys to the big boys. Um, from the big boys to shore. Um, we do fleet logistics, so getting away from the medical and the SAR side, now we need to move people from one place to the next place, whether it's ship to shore, shore to shore, or ship to ship kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, we do a lot of... Um, so if you're on a aviation-capable um, platform, so carriers, LHDs, LHAs, um, you're going to serve as starboard delta when they have jets in the air. So basically you're going to have a, a helicopter up in the air whenever jets are taking off and landing. And that's so that we have the ability to immediately go serve as a rescue platform if one of them has some kind of mechanical problem on takeoff or landing that they need to eject for. Um, and then, so I, I talked about logistics. We'll also do... Um, WSC, which is surface surveillance and coordination, surface surveillance coordination, and that's just kind of like, you know, you got people up there watching the radar, and maybe 20 miles away there's an unidentified vessel of some kind, and they'll say, hey, go out there and take a look at that. And we can take a look at it with the FLIR and send pictures back or tell them what we see. We'll also do special operations support, especially when you're on the Gators. There's always a force reconnaissance battalion on there. 
um, and we will typically do a lot of the um, training and infill, exfill, overwatch, close air support for them. Um, we deal a lot with naval special warfare, um, doing the same kind of missions, infill, exfill, um, eye in the sky, call it ISR, but you know, staying on station and just getting that big picture of what's going on and relaying it to the ground element. Um, we can do close air support. The 60 Sierra is kind of like an AR-15. It's very modular. We can put all sorts of stuff on it. Um, fixed forward firing weapons, 50 cals, 240s, Hellfires, um, and we can kind of flex to whatever mission you know needs to be accomplished. Um, and then we you know definitely do the TACAVAC, whether that be like a medevac, quote unquote type movement or a CASAVAC. Um, so, so there's a lot of stuff. So it, it's kind of the situation where, um, even though the you know the the Hilo may not be doing a, a search and rescue mission at that time, you're still going up with it no matter what. Like you're just kind of there. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. Um, and then shore duty. Um, when you're talking about station search and rescue, you're in charge of doing 24/7, 365 days a year search and rescue coverage for whatever area you're operating in. Um, so. We talk about Whidbey, you know, up in the Pacific Northwest, um, um, Lemoore, China Lake, all out in California, Fallon, Nevada. So um, they're centrally located where there's a master jet base of some kind. So again, they're there for the pointy nose guys that have ejection seats. Um, but most of their most of the station SAR business comes from the civilian sector. So um, when it comes to the life flight, a lot of the life flight. Um, in weather minimums um, are far below or far um, more restrictive than what the Navy has so they may not be able to fly so we'll go fly for them and pick up medevacs um, request you know whether it's a point of injury or like a hospital and somebody needs to get moved from one hospital to the next missing hikers lost hikers injured hikers things like that so on shore duty we deal a lot more with I keep saying we I'm sorry uh, you guys deal a lot more with um, like the civilian side of things so you're still you're still kind of flying and, and, and doing your job even though you're on a shore duty yep huh. yeah um, there's a lot of guys um, sorry there's a lot of uh, um, station SARS that make a lot of money when I say money I mean um, in a figurative sense as far as doing the mission um, they're really getting to employ those that specific set, set of skills on station search and rescue duty as opposed to when we're on sea uh, duty we're employing a wide variety of skills so um, speaking of, of money uh, do you as a SAR corpsman do you get like flight pay or uh, or like sea pay on like on sh um, when you're on sea duty do you kinda get any of those things you get sea or sea pay when you're on sea duty deployed on a ship um, so we're not attached to a ship, you know, all day, every day, all year. So it's only when we go out for workups or deployment that your C, your C duty or your, your, I guess your C counter starts mm -hmm. and you get paid for that. Um, Star Corpsman do get paid each dip, hazardous duty incentive pay, which is slightly different, um, than flight pay. Flight pay is... Um, based off of ye number of years of flying, um, and it gets the, the longer you've been flying, it gets up there. Um, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars, I believe. But for H dip, which is what Star Corpsman get, um, it's based off a of rank. So you could be flying for ten years as an E six, and you're going to get E six H dip, which Whereas an AW that's been flying for ten years might make two and a half times that amount of money, because it goes up in in incrementally with with every year. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. And, and, and that, that just has to do with um, the way the rank structure is. So we're non-career flyers. AWs are career flyers. That's the whole point of their job. Corman, um, you know, can kind of come and go, and you don't. That's not necessarily your career. So, you know, I could be flying as an SMT and then maybe that's it maybe I'm done with it and I'm gonna go be an APT or some other type of corpsman um, so it's not like 
uh, still a Corman at the end of the day. AWs would have to change their rate. So are you locked into you? You just kind of have to do your initial uh, obligation, and then you know you could switch NECs after that. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. There's there's um, an obliserve. Once the obliserve is complete, if you know you want to pull chocks, you're more than welcome to. We obviously want to keep, um, especially um, you know the senior guys, the educated, the, the the hard chargers in the community. But you know, there's a lot of people that have different career intentions, and we we wish them all the best at the end of the day. So, um, would you have to? Because I actually, uh, like two years ago, my first duty station as a corpsman, I was at uh, the sub base in Kings Bay. Um, and I mm-hmm. actually went down to Jax and I did uh, OJT with the AP guys down there, with the Hilo, the mm-hmm. guys that are, like run the Hilo and all that. Um, would mm-hmm. you would have to like go through that pipeline or since, or would it just kind of be like a, uh, a straight over transition since you've kind of already been like in that community as a star? Um. So it's it's still a, a separate NEC and it does require a C school. Um, we actually have a guy in our community um, that was an SMT, went APT for a tour of duty, and he just came back to the community about a month ago. Um, so he did his shore duty tour as an APT, and he's coming back on sea duty as an a, as an SMT. Um, so. APT falls under that triad of aviation medicine, mm-hmm. um, so it it used to be very easy for people to do that. Now APTs opened up to um, quad zeros and eighty four hundred four, so it's a little bit more difficult for an SMT to leave and go to APT world um, as it would be. It's not as difficult for like quad zero to go do that for a short duty assignment, um, but the the opportunity is still available. I'll just put it that way. So, um, for someone who has like dependents, kind of backpedaling to um, the the pipeline, yeah. um, you're pretty much going to be TAD for that whole time, right? Like, we're, they're not going to move dependents to pe- to Pensacola f- with you. And uh, I'm going to speak on the current state of the pipeline. In the current state of the pipeline, that is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, there are changes that are happening that I'm not necessarily going to talk about um, on this forum, okay. um, just because I don't want to put you know a whole bunch of we'll call it hypotheticals out there. Um, but for the current time, yeah. Okay. Um. So you guys, there's no uh, ABTs. I'm sorry, not ABTs. Uh, Sar Corman on. You guys don't deploy on destroyers at all. Those are different kind of helos. Correct. That's the uh, MH60 Romeo. Okay. Cause that's a that's what I'm on right now. So when we got a helo yep. board, I was gonna see if maybe there is a SAR corner with them, but no, they have regular um, 8406 uh, ABT Corman that are attached to them, okay. and generally they'll be located on the carrier that's supporting that destroyer or the destroyer that's supporting that carrier. Okay. All right. Um. I mean, I pretty much, you know, kind of touched on, on all the questions I had. Um, I'm, I'm happy I, I finally was able to kind of lock down a, a solid uh, pipeline schedule because, again, every, uh, every time I feel like I Googled something, there was, like, a different pipeline. Um, yep. That, so um, I'm kind of happy that, you know, I was able to, to get that um, and th- definitely be able to help other people out to kind of give them a one-stop shop for, for information. Um any other, any, any kind of last words you want to give to you know maybe someone who's thinking about it, uh, of applying some you know some I, I know you kind of touched on the packages a little bit earlier, um, but just kind of any any last words um, to to anyone who's thinking about applying. Like like I said before, man, um, um, don't there, there's there's so many we're in a very transitional phase in the community, so like you have alluded to. There's a lot of information out there, and I would say that the majority of it is misinformation, um, which is kind of why I started that Instagram page um, to try to put out correct information and a single point of contact because one of the, the things I hear a lot talking to people that are interested in the community is that they don't know how to find um, a SAR corpsman to talk to. Um, they go talk to their career counselor, and I hear everything from 
just the most bogus information that I could possibly come up with to um, Sar or uh, to career counselors telling them that Sarcorman isn't even a thing. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so if the information that somebody's looking for, you know, isn't on the Instagram page, wasn't on this podcast, obviously, reach out. Um, I'm there to help and to try to help not only the sailor that looks that wants to come into the community, but I'm trying to um, boost our numbers and make us a healthy community again. So anything I can do to help, I'm always here, um, easy to reach. Um, I'm sure that you'll put that information in whatever, whatever format you put it in. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to reach out, ask questions, and uh, get a hold of us. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'll... Um... Uh, obviously if you don't mind I'll put a link to, to that Instagram in the description uh, um, uh, I'm going to put it on YouTube iTunes, Google Play um, and SoundCloud so all, all those different platforms I'll, I'll go ahead and put uh, that Instagram information in the description um, and I'm definitely going to send this out to a couple of my buddies who I, I know back in core school um, who are interested in, in applying to this program um, again I just want to say thank you I appreciate you taking out you know the time uh of your night to, to come and do this podcast with me. Um, I got a lot of good information out of it. I hope a lot of other people who listen to it, um, you know, will obviously get the same uh, good information. Um, and again, just thank you for everything that you've done all the time that you served. I like to, to thank all my guests for everything that they've done, uh, service wise. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's about it. Definitely, you know, would like to stay in touch. Um, and, and definitely I got about six more months till I hit that 18 month mark. Um, and hopefully you'll be seeing my package around then. Yeah, man. Um, hit me up. Let me know if you have any questions. I'm here to help. Um, always available. I can make myself available. And um, yeah, if you got, if you have any people that you know hear it and can't figure out how to get a hold of me for some reason, you know, give them my information and we'll link up and you know see what we can do to help them out. Perfect. Hey, thank you again, um, and I appreciate it. And you have a good rest of your night. Hey, man. You too. Thanks. Appreciate no, your work. No problem. Have a good one. You too. Bye bye. No, no, no.